Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. The nominees for the outstanding performance by an actress in a supporting role are Jane Alexander in Kramer vs. Kramer, Barbara Berry in Breaking Away, Candace Bergen in Starting Over, Marielle Hemingway in Manhattan, and Meryl Streep in Kramer vs. Kramer. And the winner is... Thank you, my dear. Duck, my dear. Meryl Streep in Kramer <laughs> vs. Kramer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the first Oscar win for a little gem called Meryl Streep. Muriel, Muriel Streep? I'm not sure. I, I, I haven't heard of her. Have you heard of her? She might be kind of popular with the gays. I don't know. She's... Uh, According to some, President's overrated, and obviously he's a complete piece, and we will be talking about uh, why she's not, because, oh my god, it's Meryl Streep episode. Um, I don't, she's one of my favorite actresses, and um, so is like Betty Davis, and obviously, and uh, this kind of episode, I like to sort of space these episodes out, so this is very, very special that I got to bring on um my guest today uh to talk about this because um i don't know if we've ever actually specifically worked together but obviously we worked kind of in the same scene um she is the co-host of the squirrel talk podcast that used to previously be hosted by vicky licks but is now hosted by hillary yas who used to be known as hillary ooze but hillary yas and yes uh 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 it's it's Selena Vile. Hi, Selena. <laughs> well, hello, hello, hello. You know what, Kyle? We have worked together before. Did and, we? Uh, I was recently reminded of this because I was talking with Tom Hearn on his live. And right. it was a night. I forget which show it was. I think it was Gay AF. And there was a heckler in the audience. There was a drunk woman who just kept oh, talking yes. at the perform like was talking at Tom during his sketches, like thinking she could interact. And then the next person came out and was like, please stop. And then you came out and you just annihilated (laughs) her. I made her leave. You made her leave. She got up and left with all her friends. And she's like, I thought this was supposed to be fun. Uh, yeah, it, it was, was until you started talking, girl. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what kills me about that time? I think about this because someone brought this up recently. And and I find that because I started comedy and I, I kind of grew up a lot like on the road. Uh-huh. So when I moved to the city, I'm like, wow, everybody's a lot nicer here. I'm like, Wait, did I you, like, uh, grew up as in like you started your comedy career like that or you grew up as in like you actually moved around a lot as a kid. No. So I like, I mean, I started comedy in, in Ottawa and obviously there's not really a ton of opportunities in Ottawa. So you kind of have to do like small town gigs. Right. So like, I mean, like I grew up comedy wise, like doing small town shows over the years and stuff. So for me, I'm used to shit getting out of control and I'm, I know how to handle it because I've been handling it for years. And so when that was going down, I remember she was in the front row. She was stepping on everyone's Mm punchlines. She wouldn't stop talking. She was being such a Karen and she even got even more Karen about it afterward and I was told after but basically like I remember Robert Watson who was hosting literally warned her over and over again and then 
I remember she talked through Tom Hearns like entire set. Yeah. And then she was warned again and then another comedian and then she was warned again. And then before I came up, I remember Rob was like, listen, I mean, seriously, if you don't stop, you're going to be kicked out. So then she stepped on a bunch of my punchlines and I just stood there and I was like, "Um, if you uh, you are leaving and you're being kicked out, you have been warned so many times and you just decide that you're the exception to every rule. And then I looked at all the queens that like brought her and I'm like, just so you know, like it has nothing to do with you guys. It's just that you brought her here. So like you have to go to. And then happy on the way out either. Oh, I know, because she demanded her money back. Yeah. And it was like, no, ma'am, no, ma'am, you yeah. embarrassed yourself. And now you have to pay the price for it. You were warned a bazillion times. Like, <laughs> hi, girl. <laughs> People who think comedy is interactive, like you're there to enjoy it. You're not there to participate. We have our jokes set. Leave us alone. <laughs> That's right. Oof. But uh, OK, so I noticed that you were a Canadian Comedy Award winner. I was there when you won, weren't you? You this won as well. When- I won as well. Yes, yeah. I did. What did you? What category did you win for? We it was a, a sketch comedy extravaganza eleganza. So oh, we won yes. best um, or outstanding production. Okay. Yeah. By the way, anybody listening, if I keep going in between Nikki or Selena, so Selena is Nikki's drag name, but Nikki is 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 your name is Nikki. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I've had a storied career as Nikki Nesrella. <laughs> um, yeah. You can Google me. I'm I'm out there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, so before we jump into it, so 1980, the best picture went to Kramer versus Kramer. This is actually regarded as one of the biggest upsets, uh, just like Shakespeare in Love. Uh, I don't know why I like this movie. Wait, it was uh, an upset? Wait, that it won the picture? That it won best picture. Because yes. it was up against Apocalypse Now. Yes. And it was up against... Okay, so okay, so best picture was Kramer versus Kramer. Best actor, obviously, Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Best actress went to Sally Field for Norma Ray. By the way, anybody that has listened to this podcast before and you um, uh, watch the Norma Ray episode, I will be talking about starting over again, but this time we're going to be specifically focusing on Candace Bergen and not Jill Clayburgh. So just... Uh, it's going to be different. It's not going to be the same. Don't skip over it. It's going to be different. Uh, best supporting actor went to Melvin Douglas and best director went to Robert Benton for Kramer versus Kramer. So this was, um, I always like to ask my guest why they pick their guest because I feel like it's such an ask to ask somebody like, can you watch five movies for my podcast? So I always like it whenever my guest can pick. And I'm just curious, why did you pick Meryl and why did you pick this win? Okay, I'll tell you a few reasons. First of all, I give you a very long list of years. I was like, <laughs> any one of these like 26 um, options. And then um, we came back with this one, which I'm very happy about because A, I was born in 1980. So the 1980 Oscars mean a okay. lot to me because obviously I remember them very well. I was in the room. And <laughs> um, I like this is my favorite era and like genre of film, which is like, family dramas of like okay. the like 1980 like like late 70s early 80s like ordinary people like that whole um like american graffiti even just like those really like slow burns like those slow like that oh movie. my god yeah. <laughs> i know I, ha- I actually hated american graffiti as well and it reminds me a lot of breaking away which we're going to talk about today um mm. but yeah i love those like slice of life just this like these boring people in this boring town who were like having really these. selling it i mean no but uh, there's something about it that i love like i find it comforting because like i'm from ottawa too like we're both ottawa people are you where in yeah. ottawa are you from i grew up in alta vista 
Oh, I'm from Orleans. What's up? Ah, East End. Okay. East and South representing. Uh, <laughs> that's not really a thing. Um, but yeah, no, I just like like, like suburban, um, boring people drama. I get it. I totally, I totally get it. I don't think it's boring, but I, I totally get it. So before, <laughs> before we jump into, wait, so you're saying that the reason why you picked this year was because it was like a boring family drama and like, you're totally into that. I love, like, this is one of my favorite, like Kramer vs. Kramer is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh. Um, and I'm not, I don't, mean, I, love like, it. I don't mean boring in the sense that like, I'm bored. I mean, boring in the sense of like, not a lot ha- like like the scenes yeah, are very slow right like they're yeah. very like you're seeing them like make breakfast like it's not an action movie kind of thing yeah 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 i totally i completely i mean i say the same thing i'm like i love boring dramas that i call it boring because i feel like people would find it boring but i don't think it's boring right um before we jump into the actual show though when we get started i do want to do a little shout out because uh i thought this was very sweet this was very nice i got legit fan mail <gasps> and yeah, I've never it was like I've gotten comments on social media and I get little private messages and stuff like that. And believe me, boys, I love it. Please send me all the love I love because I, I, you know, I'm sitting in a literal closet in my bedroom recording this. So anybody I, I'm talking to a wall, you know, like I to the void. So it's just sort of nice to know who I'm talking to. So please keep sending me messages. But this person actually took the time to email me and like wrote a little email. Oh, I was really hoping and- it was like. A letter sent to your P.O. box with a gift. <laughs> I wish. No, not snail mail. But that would be even that would be even nicer. But I don't want people knowing where I live. Um, it, it comes from a guy. Uh, his name is Joseph Wallace. He's in the UK. And he said, I did a random search for podcasts the other night and stumbled, apro- uh, stumbled across yours. And I haven't stopped listening. I find them really enjoyable to listen to and also have a soft spot for best actress categories. Uh, he told me that these. this is his quote. Uh, not mine. He said he's a struggling filmmaker and I'm just going to give a little shout out to him. Uh, his website is filmjoe.com. And uh, I just thought it was really nice to get fan mail. That's never happened before. So I thought I would give Joseph Wallace a little shout out. So thanks, Joseph. And it's so great to hear from people that you don't even know, like not even people yes. in your reach. That's amazing. Film Joe. That's a great little um, URL. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, he's, I, I checked out his website. It's really, really cool. And also before we get into it, I have to say the funniest thing, I got an email the other day. And the reason why I'm totally bragging on this podcast is because I have been doing this now for about a year and I'm literally at that point where I'm like, do people even like this? You know? And I'm just like, (laughs) should I keep doing this? Like, I don't, you know, I'm like, you're a creative, like you get it. Like sometimes you're like, is this working? I don't know. Uh And, uh, I got an email the other day from a website called chartable.com and they track charts on Spotify and iTunes. And they said, you're charting on chartable.com and i was like really so i looked it up and it turns out that best actress podcast has gone to number one for film interviews in mongolia okay okay (laughs) in luxembourg yes i've been to luxembourg okay in guatemala in brazil Ooh. And in Antigua and Barbuda. So you to just all get of ready for all those come to Brazil comments that are coming yeah. your way. <laughs> so thank you people for making Best Actress number one uh, in Guatemala uh, and Luxembourg and Mongolia and Brazil and Antigua and Barbuda. I thought that was really random and really funny, but also makes me very happy. <laughs> it's something to put on your um, on your green card application. <laughs> it's hundred <laughs> percent Luxembourg. So like, what language do they speak? there 
I don't remember because I did like a Euro trip with my family when we were, when I was like 16 and we were like on a tour bus and they took us to like 29 different cities in 30 days or something like that. And Luxembourg was, it's like its own, it's like one city in its own country kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like it's, I think. So it's probably like French or German or something. Yes. It's somewhere around there. It's like around like Brussels. I think it's something like that. So yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, enough of me uh, sucking my own dick. I literally, let's jump into this. So uh, let's talk about, because I already brought up um, Can Can, Candace Bergen in Starting Over. Yes. So uh, starting over with Jill Clayburgh and uh, the sexy, I have such, uh, I love Burt Reynolds. He is so good looking. I am very much, very much like, yes, daddy. Uh, Let's talk about Candace Bergen and starting over. So starting over is a story where Candace Bergen and Burt Reynolds were married. And then she decides that she's going to be a terrible pop star. And then he's going to have to go and start his life all over again. And then he ends up with Jill Clayburgh and then Candace Bergen and Burt Reynolds get back together and then in the end he gets back together with Jill Clayburgh because he's starting over so that's mm-hmm. what the story is about so the first thing um, right out the gate now yes I've talked about this movie before on the podcast I'm going to try to avoid the things that I've mentioned before but um, the movie kind of opens up on the breakup and um you can tell immediately that candace bergen is a character you know uh, she was a painter and then now she's going to be a pop star so clearly you can tell that she's kind of a very artsy fartsy kind of doesn't really know where she's going in life but seems to be quite successful because she's like rich af in this and you're like that is incredible it's like a cube right yeah it was it was it was great so she she I'm not sure if this was like a joke to the pop industry, but she's like a terrible, terrible singer, which is hilarious. But I'm not sure if it was supposed to be like she's terrible because pop music maybe during the time was regarded as terrible. Like I'm not. So here's the thing is the music's not bad. Her singing is. Yeah. (laughs) And I have, I think she's not the singer that plays on the radio. Like she writes the songs. Oh, but we see her singing it like because she's vain and is like, let me sing my song <laughs> kind of thing. This is what I got from it. This is how I felt about it. Because when I first when this movie started, I was immediately like, oh, my God, this is the Marvin Hamlish movie. This is the movie about Marvin Hamlish. And I forget who his ex was, but he had there's a there's a and actually it's a musical. It's not even a movie, oh. but I got confused. It's called. Um, oh, God, they're playing our song. And it's the it's a movie about them as a songwriting team, and then they break up. And mm. um, they actually wrote these songs. Oh, so this isn't the movie about them, but they wrote these songs about that Candace Bergen sings. Very, very interesting. Okay, yeah. so maybe I find like out cons- her name because I feel terrible that I'm not saying it. Um, oh, I'm I'm so bad with names all the time. People yeah. on this podcast, like, listen, they're like, do you know anything about movies? I'm like, no, no. Um, <laughs> that's why I'm doing this. I'm trying to learn. Um, I think at the very beginning, whenever Burt Reynolds was like, oh, like, are we going to be, you know, going to bed together? I think that you need to give Candace Bergen the Oscar for literally just having the strength to say no to Burt Reynolds. Oh, my God. I would go to Pound Town <sighs> with Burt. Like, he is any one day of, of the, the sexiest men of all yes. time. That cosmopolitan <laughs> spread. I remember what watching. I remember looking at when I was a kid and just being like, 
I think that's where my obsession with DILFs came from. Yes, that's the or everyone has an origin story. Yeah, I always thought it was Alec Baldwin in the Canteen Boy sketch on SNL, but oh yeah, now yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is your Prometheus of like daddy. I guess I obsession. didn't even realize it until I just said it right now. Good for us. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I edited my face on the because uh, I bought a Dyson vacuum and I wanted to like because I just have an obsession with these vacuums. Oh, I know. I like I always say I'm like, if you have a Dyson vacuum, you've made it. So what I did is I edited in the vacuum and my face onto the Burt Reynolds like spread. And I was like, you know, because to me, it's like a sexy thing to have a Dyson <laughs> vacuum. So, I get it. Oh, I, I totally I totally get it. But um. Okay, so, okay, anyway, totally getting off track. But, you know, um, whenever she's kind of crying because, like, her single is actually going somewhere, again, I don't know if they were trying to mock the pop industry or they were just, like, kind of making fun of pop music in general. But I really, really love Candace Bergen in this um, role because she's, like, being kind of hilarious but she's being really serious about it and that's kind of like what makes it so funny and do you remember whenever she sang better than ever like when they get into that car accident randomly and they're laughing about it and then they go back to the hotel and then she puts on the music and she starts singing horribly Uh better than ever Uh and Bert is mortified I was laughing so hard at that because I I have done that to my boyfriend Daniel so many times where I'm like (laughs) let me sing for you. And he's like, oh God. And I'm like, you know, just not good. Do you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of on Schitt's Creek, how everybody loves when um, Dan Levy lip syncs simply the best. I hate that. Oh my God. Thank you. Skip through it. Thank you. Because my (laughs) reaction watching that is Bert's reaction watching Candace here. I'm like, (laughs) it's embarrassing. Please stop. This is terrible. (laughs) I love that you said that because it's so cringe. It is so cringe. I turn it off every time. I cannot stand Dan Levy. I have a thing about him and no one understands it. So I'm glad you at least don't like that. I don't know if you don't like Dan Levy, but I like that you don't like that moment. Also, I found out the name of of, um, Marvin Hamlish's writing partner who wrote these songs. And that is Carol Bayer. Sager. Love it. Just wanted, okay. to, just wanted to be known. No, I, I, I absolutely love it. I think what really works, though, for Candace Bergen's character in this movie is that she seems like you can really tell that she's making the decision for their marriage to break up because it's like the best decision for them. And you're like, you know, you don't love each other anymore. And then you're kind of moving on. But then whenever she kind of comes back and she's like throwing herself at him you really see that she is very flawed and she has like a good side and she has a bad side. So she felt very real to me because honestly, girl, like I have thrown myself at my exes in desperate moments so many times. So that felt very familiar to me. So I found it kind of charming and likable because I'm like, I have been there. Her sitting in his apartment with her like blouse open, (laughs) like sitting next to his new girlfriend. I'm like, I love this woman. She was hot. Yes, she was. She's so gorgeous. I love one of my favorite jokes about Candace Bergen was how in Will and Grace, like Karen and she have this weird rivalry for no reason. I never watched and that she's that. like, hey, Can Can. And she's like, I saw you in Sweet Home Miss Congeniality. And she's like, those were two different movies. And she's like, yeah, <laughs> not from my plane seat. <laughs> Just... <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> um, the scene where she is crying 
and he calls her and we think that something horrible happened or she's been missing him and then she's like my song <laughs> got picked up <laughs> like she did great work in this movie like very like like you said like comedic work but earnest mm-hmm. she's so well, she's a, she- She's very she's very selfish and her character is very very selfish in this movie but then she's also kind of reasonable because you know whenever they realize that it's just not working um and they're really trying to make it work and it's just not happening for them and she she does let him go because she gave him another chance and stuff like that like I once when I was in when I was like 20 I was 18 to 21 years old I was in this super toxic relationship and this guy is not a bad person and it was just we were too young and we were so we had we kept putting pressures on each other. It was really my first serious relationship. We broke up five times. Whoa. Five. No. That's if you keep crazy. breaking up, you shouldn't be together. <laughs> I know, but I was so young. I was like, it's fine. He's changed. Yeah. It's fine. And, you know, I obvious, obviously it takes two to tango, right? And it's just her in this movie, I, I completely, I related to her a lot. And I completely understood her. And um, I think that... Uh, whenever they do kind of get back together, it's like, she really does have to accept that Bert is no longer hers. And you see that realization. And I think that she does a very good job at playing the movie in a very serious way. But when she's actually being very silly, like the whole time. Yes. Yeah. And I like that. No, seriously. She has a famous father, right? Doesn't she have a father who's a director? Honestly, I'm the worst person to ask because I'm kind of like, I learn as I go. So I don't know. Right. Um, Probably. I'm, I'm here to tell you, I think her father's famous. <laughs> oh, Edgar oh. Bergen. Um, he was an American actor, comedian, vaudeville, and radio performer. Eh, okay, not that famous. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a Barrymore, but famous. Right. <laughs> um, but I will say this, though, before before we move on, um, that if anybody has any other Burt Reynolds movies that they would like to recommend where he is just like a little hottie boom body and do not send me deliverance like we've all Mm. seen the weird (laughs) scene i'm not in a deliverance mood uh but if you can if anybody can recommend burt reynolds movies where he's just like really sexy let me know and i'm gonna have an evening have you seen striptease (laughs) okay i've seen clips from when i was a kid and i remember as a kid just being like for demi moore just being i felt bad for her (laughs) i remember just oh i don't know about this i was young like i was so young to understand that this was awful (laughs) Yeah, well, you, you you got it even at a young age because this was even post Showgirls, and Showgirls was like watchable, whereas then there was this one where it's like, okay, Demi, like stop. <laughs> I've never seen I've never seen that movie Showgirls ever. What? I know like the Versace line and yeah. the dog food line, and that's kind of it. Uh, it's great. It's wacky. <laughs> it is high camp, but it didn't know it at the time. Um, of course. But Burt Reynolds is in striptease, and he's like gray at this point and quite i would say still in his prime Oof. Mm-hmm. okay all right i'll check i'll have to watch that okay unless you have anything else that you would like to add we can move on i think we're ready to move on okay so let's talk about muriel hemingway in manhattan and Ooh, yes yeah. that is hemingway as <laughs> in uh uh ernest hemingway she's actually ernest hemingway's granddaughter and yeah. for anybody that doesn't know who ernest hemingway is the old man in the sea was his big book um so okay in the movie manhattan i am deep in alan v Farrow, so Uh i have a really 
I had a really hard time with this movie because yeah. it's very difficult to know the truth about him. And I'm sorry, but that is fucking true. I believe Dylan. I believe the victim. Like it is very clear that he's guilty. He's literally on the record and recordings, essentially admitting it. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, I feel that there are so many parallels in this movie that are, is going on in his real life yeah. that he's even quoted as saying Manhattan. He literally said, I can't believe I got away with it about this movie. And that could be interpreted in many different ways. Yeah. But right now, the conversation that we're having about him, that really doesn't look well to him. So the movie Manhattan is uh, a very familiar film about, you know, that w- written by Woody Allen, who um, is... Uh, oh God, like dating a 17 year old girl who this is Mariel Hemingway. Yeah. Um, when he says, and, I can't believe I got away with it. That was my, ent- that was my thought watching this yeah. movie. Like, how, oh, yeah. how did this make it to print? How, and that's because he wanted, the, he shelved this, he personally shelved this movie. But after the success of Annie Hall, um, the distributors were like, no, we need to release this. And it was um, his most financial successful hit. Um, I think it was probably just because it was a follow-up to, it's kind of like, yeah. you know the movie like American Hustle where it's like it really wasn't good, but it was the follow-up to Silver Linings Playbook. So it like was such a big movie, right. but like actually everyone hated it. Right. Um, so anyway, Manhattan is just a story about him dating a 17-year-old girl and then he starts dating Diane Keaton. And then Diane Keaton's like, hey, it's not working out. I'm going to go back to the other guy. And then... He tries to go back to the 17-year-old girl, and that's kind of the ending. And obviously, the movie takes place in um, Manhattan. I'm I'm just going to be completely honest with you. Um, I found Mariel Hemingway in this movie stiff, distant, and weird. I thought that her Oscar nomination makes absolutely no sense. Uh, And I I have a very hard time watching Woody Allen films because... Uh, just how, how gross of a person he is. And, um, uh, I have, I have a hard time watching his, I, I feel very uncomfortable watching his movies and I had a, I had a, I was very uncomfortable watching this movie. I, I have to say I'm kind of the opposite of you. Like I love, and I'm not ashamed to say it. Like I love Woody Allen movies. I grew mm-hmm. up on them. And like, for me, it's mostly about like New York nostalgia. Like I love New York. I go there as often as I can. And there's just that like, it's such a perfect capture of like New York neuroses, like inside mm-hmm. New Yorkers. Like I love seeing their apartments. I love seeing where they Same. go. But yes. I haven't watched a movie of his since like all this stuff has been like, cause I knew about the rumors. Like I knew about like the accusations, but I was always like, well, mm-hmm. I don't know. But then like reading all this stuff, I'm like, no, a hundred percent. Like this man is fucking guilty. So I haven't watched one of these movies. And this was so and this one in particular, for this one to be the first one that I watched since I stopped watching right. Woody Allen movies, was right. so cringy. The scene yeah. where she's crying as he's leaving her, and then it's just a shot of her face, and then his creepy hand sneaking in and poking her face and like stroking her hair. And like it's so disgusting to watch. I know. I call I was like, Mom, can you come pick me up? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it, so let me get a couple of oh Meryl Streep was in this movie as well playing Rapunzel. There's a lot um, of cross. There's a lot of Meryl Streep happening. There's the all these movies are like this person's leaving that person, then they get back together, and now they're dating that person. Like there's very much oh, there's a, a 
a theme of divorce in 1979 <laughs> going on. A lot here. of the a lot of the movies at the time were very much about this. Yes, because because divorce divorce was like so hot. Um, <laughs> it was like this season's must have. But it, just at the beginning of the movie, you know, um, and I really do mean it when I say that she was stiff, distant, and weird. I literally, I because the movie was in black and white, and she was just this really tall like statuesque like gorgeous woman but because she was so like stiff and distant i was calling her lurch the whole time like i just and i'm okay so again some of the lines just just to give context to anybody who hasn't seen manhattan so the movie basically opens and it's she's gorgeous she's 17 and i'm old enough to be her father Uh i'm dating a girl that does homework when I was your age, I was still being tucked in by my grandparents. Don't forget, you're a kid. It's erotic unless the cops break in. Like, what? Co- These are all quotes, by the way. Like, what kind of a picture are you painting Woody Allen? Like, it was a very uncomfortable narrative. Um, I'm older than her father, he says. Um, yeah. And then a few years later, he leaves Mia Farrow for her 17-year-old daughter. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah and then it's like oh, another line i like it when you get an uncontrollable urge and this is to the 17 year old yeah. um literally give mariel hemingway the oscar for just having to make out with woody allen i mean listen in 2015 to promote um her memoir uh she actually said that the role with at that time in her life, it was very uncomfortable for her. She didn't want to do the makeout scenes because she was 16 at the time. Ugh. And she asked her mom, she literally had to ask her mom, how do I make out? So when he kissed her and he comes at her like a friggin' linebacker, uh, and he, she, when the scene was done, she tripped over the cinematographer and asking if she had to do that again. And uh, when she turned 18, he got into a private jet and flew out to her, like wherever the heck she lived, to take her to Paris under the condition that they would stay in one room together. And her parents were actually very encouraging of this. And she was very uncomfortable by this and she did not want to go. But she ended up going because of all the pressure. But she insisted on having two different bedrooms. And apparently they're still very good friends. But this is just very creepy onset behavior, very inappropriate. And um, it really just tainted this whole movie for me. And when you read about these things and you're watching it, you're just like, Oh God, that poor girl. Like I just, this whole movie was a giant gross for me. The entire time watching it about her character, I was thinking, where are her parents? Who are her parents? And then now I'm thinking, where were Mariel Hemingway's parents and who are these people? Like what's happening Mm -hmm. over there? Mm-hmm. No, uh, I know. And a- according to Jeff Stafford at TCMDB, uh, there was criticism for depicting when this movie came out, there was criticism for depicting the romance between a teenager and a 42 year old man. But allegedly this was actually based on a real life relationship between Woody Allen and 17 year old Stacy Nelkin that he met as an extra on Annie Hall. And it apparently was also inspired by Alan's real life correspondence with a 13 year old pen pal named Nancy Joe sales. So literally also Nancy Joe sales sounds like a made up name for like a customer service representative. <laughs> it does. Oh my God. I Hi, Nancy Joe sales. I did not know that. And I hate this news. Yeah. Like just the more you get into this film, the creepier and creepier, 
Um, it gets, and this for me was just the nail in the coffin. Woody Allen originally wanted Jodie Foster, who previously played a child prostitute in Taxi for yes. this role because she was nominated for an Oscar for that. So there's just a whole bunch of gross going on in this movie. Um, when he waits outside of her high school for her, um, not unlike a registered sex offender. Uh-huh. All he was missing was um, man. Yeah, uh, her... Uh, and then at one point, her character like begs Woody not to break up with her because she loves him so much. And um, just she was like, no, please, please. Mm-hmm. I can assure you, Woody was just like getting off on writing that scene. And that's the scene where he's poking her fucking face and like massaging her neck. I hate that scene. Yeah. And then like, in my opinion, um, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, Mariel Hemingway her character in my opinion didn't really have much depth it just kind of seemed like she just wanted to fuck all the time and just begged him to stay and was just obsessed with him and she needed to every 10 seconds remind him that she had an exam or the morning or that she needed to remind him that she was 17 or she had to remind him that she was in high school like her lines were just very one track very one note um her lines were her acting was i don't understand how she got nominated for this movie I don't get it. And like at one, another another gem, she said, "I turned eighteen the other day. I'm legal, but I'm still a kid." Like what? A, what? What is the? How does that move the story forward? Like how? Anyway, um, all that to say, I was not a fan of this film. I loved Meryl Streep as like the very stern sort of bisexual. I called her Rapunzel because her hair was so long and like blonde. So I was like, she's Rapunzel. She was great in this movie too. And um, if she was nominated over uh, Hemingway, I would have been like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Totally. I would have rather seen her. I would have rather seen in starting over um, the sister-in-law, Bunny from Sex and the City. Like I would have rather seen her get the nomination. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah, I, I liked her too. Um, unless there's something else that you would like to add, we can move on. I would love to move on from this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay, uh, let us talk about Barbara Berry in Breaking Away. Another and if anybody does mystery a- nomination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. I'm so glad that you said it. Uh-huh. Um, but Breaking Away, for anybody that doesn't know, it is a story about the thing that I hate most in this world, if you live in Toronto, cyclists. <laughs> um... So it is a movie about a very sexy Dennis Quaid, which is the only reason to watch this movie. I was serious. No, I'm, yes, we are on this yeah. same. <laughs> what, 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 he's sexy on a good day, but like in this era, yeah. I didn't know. I'd never seen him that young. And I'm just in love. What a face. And Jaws 3. Jaws 3. Or was it four? Yeah, Jaws 3. Mm, yeah. I saw it. Oh, he was... Yeah. Okay. So basically this is a movie uh, about uh, this kid that is obsessed with Italian culture and, and cycling. Cause they have like the tour de France and they have like cycling competitions in Europe. So he's like, Oh my God, it's my new personality. I'm going to be like Italian now. Gifted an Italian bike or he won an Italian bicycle. And that's why he's like diving oh. into it. It's a little, a little cringy, but cute at the same time, but like mm-hmm. a little cringy. Um, so the movie basically opens on like a young Dennis Quaid in a wife beater singing in a forest, very deliverance. And you're like, okay, Rose, you have my attention. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I was very much into this. Um, and the movie is of course the story of the human spirit because 
there's like challenging because they're like the locals like there's a university town and they don't go to the university so sort of they're sort of the local riffraff and then like the university you, kids i yeah. never knew what the word townie meant like i didn't know what it referred to i didn't know why they <laughs> why they call people townies and then this movie taught me that townies oh well they're, are like, it's educational then yeah people who live in the town and are not in the universe <laughs> <laughs> I like to call them carnies. Yeah, carnies is better for me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, very much in the same vein. Mm-hmm. But no. So all the local, all the local townies are like they're in a bike race against the university kids, and they gotta beat them to 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 defend their quarry because there's a quarry that they swim in, and whenever the university kids swim in it, they're like, "Hey, stop swimming in our quarry!" So very high stakes. Why do we care and... so much about cycling? Like, why is why is cycling such a big? De- is cycling actually a big deal in Indiana? Like, what's going on? I, this was all filmed in Indiana, according to the credits. I mean, they gave in, they gave the state, the city, and the university a huge thank you at the end. Like, they got, it got its own moment at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. saying thank yeah. you for letting us film here and and to the people of the town for being such good townies. <laughs> so Barbara Berry plays the mom of this cyclist kid who is like a italian for some reason and barbara berry is like them she has like all of her little plants and that's to kind of demonstrate that she's a very nurturing mother and she allows things to grow because she's always defending her son because her father is like he needs to take his life seriously and settle down and get a job and she's like no like just let us see where he's going with this and she's obviously the very supportive character um mm-hmm. I think that uh, Barbara Berry, she reprised the role because this actually was a spinoff for a TV series that was, um, I guess it only lasted for one season, so probably not very successful, but whatever. She reprised the role. made this a TV show? (laughs) You know, um, I can't just, okay, so uh, the humor in her performance was that, you know, she thought that her son was odd, but she always supported him whenever she would say things like, oh, God, like, try not to become a Catholic on us. So there was a lot of sort of humor in her role. And, yeah. you know, she she didn't really have a lot of screen time. And yeah, like, I feel like that's the running theme with these best supporting actress nominations is like people who barely did any, like people who did the least. <laughs> that's right (laughs) absolutely because there would be a scene where like barbara berry um would be crying for example but it would be like a two second scene yes or like do you remember whenever she suddenly she makes she goes oh i have a surprise for all you boys because it's you know the townies versus the university kids and she goes i have a surprise and she pulls out these t-shirts that she made for them and it says cutters and i'm like girl that does not mean what you think it does oh my god um but they keep but, referring to them as cutters yeah that's like their name they're called they're called the cutters but i'm like when i hear cutters i just i mean i was an emo kid for christ's sake so i'm like that doesn't yeah age well it's <laughs> definitely changed over time <laughs> yeah, that doesn't that doesn't really work um she, um, she, uh, she, I don't really have much to really say about, yeah. um, this movie, felt this like performance, a, felt like a play, this movie, like I was like, is this an adaptation of a play? And I was surprised to find out it wasn't. I was also surprised to find out it was nominated for best picture and like, it's revered. And like at the time they were, it was making all like the best of lists and I don't get it at yeah. all. I kind of in. I will say this. I, it didn't lose my attention. I loved the father who, by the way, should have been nominated. For, if he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, I'd be like, totally, because he's very hard at first, but then he kind of softens up and then he begins to understand his son. So he kind of has like a bit of an arc where um, Barbara Berry, 
I kind of just feel like has a scene. She's like, I made dinner for you. And then she goes, oh, son, I think that it's a good idea that you want to do that. And then like, that's it. And then the next scene, she's like, I made T-shirts. And then they're yeah. like, throw an Oscar at her. Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I um, I also want to mention the father had a lot of bit roles on the Golden Girls. We saw him a lot. Yes, I know. <laughs> yes. Uh, what was what was his name? Oh, Isaac Newton. Isaac, he was Isaac Newton. That's right. That Rose yes. was, was pen palling with. Yes. Um, so another thing that I found, the only thing, uh, fine, the only thing that I found very interesting about this movie was the skinny guy who was beat up was Marv from Home Alone. Daniel Stern, <laughs> who was also in Starting Over. Yes, exactly. And I was like, oh, hey, because I, yeah, I was kind of, I you don't really hear much about Daniel Stern or you never really did, but I, I was like, oh, I remember you from my childhood. So that was kind of. Right. I know him from Home Alone and I know him from City Slickers and that's it. And that's, that's kind of it. Um, I'm just trying to really, really. Because, okay, so 50 minutes, like five zero into this movie, you've maybe seen Barbara Berry for like two minutes. Uh-huh. Um, you know, she played a supporting role in that she played a supporting mother and she like <laughs> allowed her son to do whatever. And she always like loved her kid. And in mm-hmm. that regard, I'll be like, good job. But I think that she had like a total, I don't know, how long was this movie? Like an hour and a half, an hour and 40? Yeah. Or in 45 and i think she she was maybe in like five minutes of the movie like maybe so listen judy dench yeah. has won an oscar for eight minutes of screen time so if she can do it barbara barry well she couldn't but she could <laughs> <laughs> well uh what's her face for network won for five minutes but the reason why um uh, Judy Dench won was because the year before people were saying that she should have won for Mrs. Brown and then the next year she played instead of Queen Victoria she played Queen Elizabeth in Shakespeare in Love and she had Harvey Weinstein's campaigning skills and uh, yes. like I feel like her win for that role was kind of just like I mean it's Judy Dench she's fucking amazing mm-hmm. just give it to her I mean she was incredible in that movie don't get me wrong but literally like um, there was a reason why she won for eight minutes because she had clearly proven herself the year before and she had Harvey Weinstein on her side uh-huh. but she hasn't won she hasn't won since but apparently she really thought that she was going to win for um, Chocolate oh. um, yeah she really thought she was going to win that one I can't one i think it was what's her face for pollock i can't remember marcia anyway. Harden, because yes. i think she recently said that judy dench was bitter that she didn't win or something like that and then she retracted yes. that i think you and i have the same facebook feed <laughs> <laughs> this is great this i just great. read a lot of delisted.com and there's a lot of stuff oh. about that. <laughs> yeah that's great i have to i gotta check that out okay so i mean i think i think that we're good here can we move on to our next nominee yes yes we can Okay, so let's talk about Jane Alexander in Kramer versus Kramer. Mm-hmm. So Kramer versus Kramer. This is the time in history where breakups and divorces were kind of the narrative uh, and um, in a lot of movies. And I think that, um, like, for example, you know, one of the one of the performances here was called Starting Over. And then you have Kramer. So it's like this was something that was kind of familiar uh, and very, like, uh, part of the cultural conversation. So Kramer versus Kramer is kind of like, um, I mean, I guess it hasn't really aged super well, but the whole argument was that like in a divorce, the mother should, the child should always go with the mother. But in this case, it was supposed to be like, no, it's actually the mother that's kind of shitty, not the father. Mm-hmm. And 
um, Meryl Streep. Well, okay, actually, we'll talk about Meryl Streep. But anyway, so Jane Alexander, um, I have like a conspiracy theory about this role, but Jane Alexander is the friend of Meryl, who is a divorcee and and kind of becomes um, Dustin Hoffman's friend because now they've both. Now they're both divorced. They never become like lovers. They never have a real, it's just purely a friendship. And um, through these really hard times of being single parents and um, Jane Alexander has had four Academy Award nominations in her career. She I has? Believe, yeah. Wow. I believe that this was her second. I have to double check that, but um I think that this is another example. I think that Jane Alexander is an example where you're not really in the movie a lot, but you can still give a fantastic performance and make a really great impression where, for example, Barbara Barry was barely in the movie and I kind of forgot about her. Like if you would have told me she was nominated, I actually would be like, what? But this seeing Jane Alexander being nominated, I actually kind of understand that because um, she was, uh, she made every single scene count and she didn't really have a lot of scenes. Right. She, yeah, she definitely wasn't a lovely presence in every scene she was in, but it's especially her performance on the witness stand that um, Mm. her testimony there that I think is what got her the nomination. And she said on the witness stand, because she's conflicted because she was talking to Meryl before Meryl left uh, her husband and was like, you know, you you owe it to yourself to leave if you're ge- genuinely unhappy and you can't take this anymore and and you're not happy in your marriage and stuff like that. And, um, you know, then that's why Dustin Hoffman thought that he kind of or she like coached Meryl and stuff like right. that. Um, and then when she really gets to see Dustin as a great father and he's really changed and he's just so loving toward his uh, son, Justin Henry, who by the way, at eight become, and is still the youngest Oscar nominee ever at eight years old. Um, I would argue, did you see who won the best supporting actor? Yes, it was. I wrote it down. It was Melvin Douglas. Who I don't know, but I'm going to say that this kid deserved to win. This kid is great. brilliant in this film. He is really, really good. And I have the funniest little, funniest little fact. Apparently, Justin Henry threw a fucking mega tantrum when he lost the Golden Globe for Best Newcomer. And I would love to watch an eight-year-old on a Golden Globes telecast go full Faith Hill at the Country Music Awards <laughs> when Carrie Underwood fucking won. Like, what? Like, I... Just an eight-year-old having a fucking tantrum. That would be like such an iconic. I would pay to see. And all the stars trying to like console this child. Like he's freaking out and crying and knocking over drinks. Like I love that. (laughs) I'm obsessed. I love that. He's like super drunk. (laughs) He's belligerent. (laughs) (laughs) Just love it. I wish that I saw that. But anyway, so – um. Jane Alexander is a very interesting character because she said she's not going to get married again because the man that she divorced will always be her husband. Uh-huh. And there's a part of me that kind of understands that attitude a little bit because like maybe not uh, maybe not in a marriage sense with children. I don't know what that's like, but I am what you call a serial monogamous. Right. Like I am 
always in a relationship. And I think the longest I've ever not been in a relationship was three years. I was even in a relationship all through high school with a girl. Yikes. But literally (laughs) just saying like, but just saying like, I, I'm just a very, I'm a very sensual person. I'm a very like relationship oriented Mm -hmm. person. So for me, I kind of understand that because every single relationship that you have, they always kind of stay with you. Mm -hmm. And some some exes more than others. There's one ex that I have that I literally, oh my God, if I never spoke to him again, again, I would be so okay with that. But I'm just saying that there are some exes where it's like, it wasn't necessarily a bad breakup and you still always have like a little piece of your heart for them. So I really related to what she meant by that because- I mean, and also like in those days, like in the era where she got married, marriage was your identity. Like being married right. was like everyone's goal. And mm-hmm. it was like every woman's identity. It was like, I am this person's wife. And mm-hmm. so I think this is like, this is why we're seeing so many divorces is because people are like, no, fuck that new era. Women can be whatever they want to be. Um, and and so I don't know. I feel like she's a little bit of a represent- representation of the old guard. A hundred percent. I completely I completely agree with you because that is the thing when you do watch these old movies is you do have to understand the context of history, like when you're watching it. Because I've always said this on this podcast where it's like sometimes when I watch old comedic movies, comedy is subjective. So when you're watching an old movie, it's like maybe somebody who grew up in the 40s might think that that thing is hilarious, but it's like, I don't get it. So I'm like, question mark, like whenever I'm watching it, because you have to have historical context to understand something. And also maybe like what it was like to be a man during that time, or what it was like to be a woman during that time, or what it was like to be a gay person during that time, or, you know, so um, I think that that that's very, very true because you're, you're right. I think that was very much a part of a woman's identity, which is why a lot of these roles for women, it's never about their jobs or their careers. It's always about how they're a mother or they're a hooker or they're a divorcee uh-huh. or they're, a, you know what I mean? And, and it's, it's just kind of very, it's very much like that. So I, I completely agree with that. Um, I think that, okay, I have, I'm going to say like my little conspiracy theory in a second, but I do agree with you. I do think that it was really that courtroom scene when she starts to really see Dustin Hoffman's side of the story. And um, she says, you know, uh, I wrote it down. Uh, Why would you tell her to leave? And why did you tell her to like, if, if you were not trying to, you know, put ideas in her head and she's like, yes, I told her that she should leave, but because she was my friend and she was in trouble. So what I love about this movie is that Every character is conflicted. Yes. Meryl's conflicted. Dustin is conflicted. Um, Jane Alexander is conflicted. Like everybody in this movie has an argument. And that is why this script and this movie works so well. Because you don't, if you actually really pay attention, you have no reason to hate anybody. Because clearly it was just a relationship that just clearly was not working and people were just not happy. And back in the day, it was like people just rushed into marriage at like 19 and like mm-hmm. had a kid. And then by the time that you're 30, you're like, oh, God, like, mm-hmm. what Like what have I done? <laughs> like, I'm trapped. So I loved how she was one way at the beginning and then she was kind of another way at the end and she saw both sides of the story. And I think that that's so much more realistic. And I think that it was just so brilliantly written and she was, she nailed every scene. I thought she was fantastic in this movie. I do too. This is one of the earned nominations. Do you know who's, who's missing from this list? Who's snubbed this year? Um, one of the movies that has the most nominations along with Kramer versus Kramer is all that jazz by Bob Fosse. Have you seen it? 
I know of Bob Fosse, but no, I've not seen it. I'm not crazy about musicals, if I'm being honest. So this isn't even much of it. Like there is, there are musical elements to it, but it's because he's playing a choreographer and like a director. So mm-hmm. you'll see musical moments and like the ending is a huge musical sequence. But other than that, it's pretty much the story of his life. And mm-hmm. um, Anne Ryan King plays his girlfriend and she was his girlfriend in real life. And I okay. think she is gloriously omitted from like, what a snub for her not. Cause she's like a big part of the movie. Whereas like, what's Barbara Berry doing here? What's Meryl Hemingway doing here? When you yeah. had Anne Ryan King played by Margaret Qualey in the FX show, Fosse Verdon, who also did an incredible job of interpreting um, Anne Ryan King. I think. Oh, I love that. I'm going to say, put her in. Let's go back to 1980. <laughs> and give us one <laughs> Oh, I love a snub. I mean, I feel like that could be a different podcast too, like somebody being snubbed, oh of course. Um, but I will say this though, um, whenever she kind of gets back together with her ex-husband at the end, and she kind of just mentions that she doesn't think that it will work out, but she's happy because she's hopeful. She's hoping for a change. She's hoping for happiness. She's hoping for a second chance, but she's also being realistic about it. I yeah. love a non-Hollywood ending. Yeah. I love a you know, oh, and then they lived happily ever after. I love the uncertainty of it, but I love the hopefulness of her character. It was like every character, every scene, it just seems so real. Every person seemed real. Um, yes. So my conspiracy theory. So my conspiracy theory was that Jane Alexander um, was secretly sabotaging <laughs> the family and she was the devil on Meryl's shoulder and was like hey like you're not happy like you should leave and the reason why is because she actually really wanted dustin hoffman Uh and she was like she wanted his life or she wanted to date him or she wanted to ruin his life because maybe he did something to her like he accidentally took her mail or a package and she never (laughs) forgave him for it because they are neighbors so i think that what she was doing was sabotaging because do you remember when the kid Justin Henry falls off of the playground and it was very preventable. Yes. She tried to like kill the child. And then, and then whenever Dustin Hoffman comes in and was like, it's not your fault. And I have to ask if anything ever happens to me, would you be willing to take care of him? And then she starts crying because her plan backfired. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, fuck. (laughs) She didn't. Oh, I am obsessed with this theory. And you know what? <laughs> I am on board because that scene where she was like, I'll get him off the playground and like was not <laughs> even looking at him, just held her hand up like arbitrarily, yeah. like not even like with any, um, with any like tension behind her. Arm. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. None. She, 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 None. she probably pushed him. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, uh, Oh, and okay. Well, I guess we can, I'll cover that with the Meryl part, but, um, I think her last scene in the movie I kind of thought was like I guess they didn't I I felt like they probably should have ended it by her being like oh I'm getting back together with my husband but her last scene was when she's trying to get in when uh, Dustin Hoffman found out that he will be losing some of the custody to Meryl and she's kind of banging on the door like let me in let me in and he doesn't let her in and that was her last scene I maybe didn't love that that was the last scene with her because it kind of seemed like are you ever going to let her in or why would that be the end of her character I think it probably should have been like oh I'm getting back to with my husband I'm hopeful that should have been the end but whatever no because Um, because that scene wasn't about her it was about him mm -hmm. 
And I just sort of mean uh, it, what that to me was kind of demonstrating was that Dustin Hoffman was closed off and he's giving up. And then I was like, oh, because then you could kind of go somewhere with that. Like, how is she, how is she, he going to open up to people again? And I don't know. Or maybe that's how I interpret it. Yeah. I mean, it's an incredibly devastating moment. Like that yeah. scene was heartbreaking to watch. Um, I loved how it played out. And I hope he never lets her back in. <laughs> well she's sabotaging his life so yeah. probably um oh, okay, so mail. About... come on <laughs> yeah <laughs> or our amazon package i mean i'd do it um okay so let's talk about meryl streep and kramer versus kramer so this was meryl streep's second nomination ever she is the most nominated actor of all time with 21 nominations not all um, this was not all yeah there were uh okay we'll we'll get into that because i mean we're gonna talk we're gonna talk some stream uh this was her second nomination her first was for the deer hunter um and i need to finish that movie before we get into it i just want to say this about meryl streep uh she has been turned down for six roles in her entire career uh dawn in king kong and if you ever want to watch that uh interview it went to jessica lang it's all over the internet there where the director was literally like you're ugly and she responded back in perfect italian because he didn't know that she spoke italian because he said it in italian Uh and uh well anyway uh, it was like a huge fuck you moment and it's amazing so it's all over the internet you can watch it um she was turned down for ellen ripley in alien cool love to have seen that i would not Uh, sigourney weaver was the thing oh i know but i mean it's meryl like she could play batman and be the right person (laughs) uh michelle stratton in um american gigolo um patsy klein in sweet dreams which also went to (laughs) jessica lang jessica lang is just like stealing up all these roles um miss kenton in the remains of day and elizabeth first in elizabeth aka kate blanchett so those were the six roles another little fun thing that i love betty davis actually sent meryl streep a letter saying that she was next in line to be the next best american actress and she was correct wow um she was also up for evita oh was she yeah oh i don't know i mean i'm sure she she was turned down or if she turned it down i think she turned it down because maybe she was too scared of singing that part but right uh but yeah she was up for it i doubt it i doubt meryl streep would be too scared (laughs) (laughs) i think she she could handle it um Another fun fact about Kramer versus Kramer before we get into Meryl. Uh, so Dustin Hoffman was actually going through a really messy divorce during this movie, which contributed to a lot of the scenes. So he actually, a lot of the scenes in this movie, Dustin Hoffman actually contributed many personal moments of his own life to Robert Benton, to the director of this movie. Wow. So Robert Benton actually offered him a screenplay credit, but Dustin Hoffman turned it down. But Robert Benton won the Oscar for writing. So... Dustin Hoffman could have won an Oscar for writing if he would have just said yes. Yeah, what an idiot. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of crazy. And uh, the other thing... Oh, no, actually, you know what? I'm not even going to get into that because that was that was a different point. Okay, so what did you think about Meryl in this movie? I thought this performance was perfection. It was beautiful. Um, it's nuanced. We hate her. We also feel for her. We understand her point of view. Um... She, this was, okay, I have to say, I cannot stand Meryl Streep as an actor. Um, she's, <laughs> Good, neither can I. <laughs> oh my God, thank God. Because she's she's in a category for me with like Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington. 
where you're Daniel J. Lewis, Daniel J. Lewis, <laughs> where you're only watching where every time you're watching them on screen, you're watching the actor, right? Like you're watching right. the actor play a part. I, I'm always, I always am aware that I'm watching Meryl Streep doing something kooky. So really? Okay. That is how I feel. The banger sisters come on, but listen here <laughs> in this movie, in this era, I feel like she's still an actress. Like she's still like, this is before she became Meryl Streep for me. This is like, we are seeing her actually lose herself in the character and play play this character without... I'm, I'm going to have to give that a big gay gasp. I'm clutching my heart of the ocean. I'm like, <laughs> what? Yeah. I totally, unequivocally disagree with you, but I yeah, most love people do. that. I mean... I, well, I kind of thought that what you maybe meant was more sort of like in interviews because oh. I have a theory. I think that all actors and actresses are so good at pretending to be something that they're not, yeah. that they've created a public persona 100%. that has keywords and they're like, what's my brand and what do I like? They've created a character. And so Jennifer I think Lawrence that- is a great example of this. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but all I know is that I'm probably, but all I know is that all actors and actresses, when you see them on late night TV shows, I think that if anybody believes every word that they're saying and like buys any of it, mm-hmm. it is like such BS. And I think that people are just so naive. Although I'm also the most cynical comedian in the world, but I'm just saying like, I don't buy it at all. And Meryl Streep has gone on record to say that she, her biggest pet peeve in the entire world is cynicism and people that are cynical. And it's like, well, yeah, because people clearly don't trust you. Yeah. I don't trust her. I don't trust her as far as I can throw her. But I I trust 1979 Meryl. At the very beginning, whenever we see her, she leaves and it's so hard for her. It's so random for Dustin Hoffman. It's very unprovoked because he's just coming home from work and he has no idea that his life is about to completely change. And the way that you can tell how difficult it is for her, you feel how difficult it is for her. Mm. You see how scared she is. Um, And Meryl really fought for this character to be three-dimensional because the way that this character was written in the book was very unlikable and very Mm one-note. And Meryl was like, no, I want her to seem conflicted. I want the audience to be conflicted by her decision. And I think that in that regard, she was very, very successful because at first you're kind of like, whoa, like how could you just leave your kid? Like that's fucked. But then when you really kind of find out like how insanely unhappy she was, you kind of just think like, well, you know, sometimes when you are that unhappy, you have to take a selfish. It's awful. But it's like, do you want to stay in a, in a place where you feel horrible every day? Or do you want to get on with your life and do something else with it? You know, and that's a choice that you as a human being have to make. Mm-hmm. But you have to own your decision. And she eventually does. But she's conflicted. She's flawed. And I think that when you watch her, you get Meryl Streep. I remember Bill Anthony once said, and it was so true. Meryl Streep always knows what movie she's in. And she is playing this so perfectly that you completely understand her because she's very unlikable in this movie. But I I liked her. I understood where she was coming from. I understood her decision making process. And I was like, I think I would be a Meryl, too, if I was you know, in this horrible, I mean, I don't know if I could leave my kid, but I'm not a mother. I don't have kids. So I don't know what that's like. But at the same time, like, I love that I can have kind of a conversation about it. And like, this character, her goal was to make it three dimensional. And her character was very three dimensional. Mm -hmm. They also did a beautiful job um, in terms of filmmaking of like, we open 
with her saying goodnight to her kid and then leaving her mm-hmm. husband. And in the beginning, it kind of looks like the movie might be about her and her journey and mm-hmm. and why she's leaving him and, and like what did he put her through that she's going to be leaving now like leaving her kid right. like he must have done something horrible and then we think she's going to be the hero but then it turns on its head and it's about him figuring out how to be a father and then we fall in love with him as a father and we start mm-hmm. to villainize her for making this decision mm-hmm. and and we kind of like lose sight of why she left mm-hmm. um and then we bring it back in the testimonies and stuff. And I don't know. I just think it's such a beautifully crafted, complicated story. Exactly. Yeah. I completely agree. I think that um, whenever he, whenever she, um, because first of all, you just, you don't really see, especially during this time, you really don't see women in these kinds of roles. And when you do see them in these kinds of roles, you don't see them being sympathetic characters. Right. So I think that this was probably very groundbreaking at the time. And I think that whenever you, um, see Meryl in the restaurant after 13 months has passed. Dustin Hoffman randomly gets a phone call from her and he's like, oh, because you could tell he's he has a little skip in his step because he thinks that she wants to come back. Mm-hmm. And you can tell how excited he is. And um, it he was so determined. Uh, and I remember Meryl in the scene, she does this thing that I was like, wow, I don't even know how the fuck you would do that. She seems like she has changed but she also has not changed her mind. Yes. And there's this kind of weird conflict where you can see that she's like, no, like I'm not coming back. And, and, and I'm, I, I'm trying to make this a good moment, not a bad moment. And um, whenever he threw the glass on the wall, that was completely improv. Yeah. And she fucking was terrified. And she literally was, uh, uh, that was a genuine reaction, but she stayed in character. Mm-hmm. And when they called cut, apparently she lost it on Dustin Hoffman. And apparently Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep not, don't hate each other, but apparently Dustin Hoffman went on the record to say that during the filming of this movie to get in character, he hated Meryl Streep. And this like, is the type of actor I cannot stand. I right. hate <laughs> fucking method actors. I hate actors who like have to live the character. And like, if I'm my character hates you, then I have to hate you too. Fuck you. Right. And like, what a dangerous move. I haven't watched this since I knew the information of him um, uh, improvising the, the glass thing. And mm-hmm. I watched him pick up the glass, put it here and then pick it up again and move and be like, Oh no, I should use this and like pick it up and move it over there right throw it and like i that's first of all it's so dangerous she could have gotten fucking glass on her face like she could have cut herself yeah because that wall was very close and kudos to her for staying in character and kudos to her for going off on him because no one should have to put up with that shit well i don't know uh, exactly the assault in question but she said that she would never work with dustin hoffman again because she would never want to work with an actor that has to hit her to get into character Ooh. yeah so i don't i don't know what that maybe she's talking about the glass thing like i'm not i i really don't know but that was her that was her big no-no and apparently since then they've never worked together oh random funny fact she when she won the oscar she accidentally left it on the toilet in the bathroom at the academy <laughs> good for her <laughs> 
Um, this role was originally offered to Goldie Hawn and Jane Fonda. They both turned it down. That would be kind oh of interesting. Oh my God, I would have loved. I mean, first of all, Jane Fonda would have murdered that. And yeah. Goldie Hawn, I would have loved to have seen her in that type of role. I think that uh, Meryl Streep's courtroom scene was probably one of the most flawless monologues that she's ever done in her career. Mm-hmm. And um, the director uh, essentially let her improv basically all of it. <gasps> no way. Yeah, because she was arguing her character's point of view. And um, he only took out two lines. So, like, not only is she a very good actor, but she also is a clearly a very, very good writer. Uh-huh. Um, this is where, like, doing your homework and, like, knowing exactly who your character is. Exactly. Like, comes into and play. I think that... Um, uh, another scene that I loved is whenever uh, the lawyer, her lawyer, brings up the fact that the kid, as he described it, his face was permanently disfigured. He just has like a little bit of a scar. Yeah. Um, and Meryl was like, oh my God, I don't want you to bring that up. And she, at, when court is adjourned, she like uh-huh. goes up to Dustin Hoffman, runs to the elevator, and she's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry about that. I'm genuinely, and you can see how hard it is for her to say sorry. And she's like, I really didn't think he would bring that up. But you just kind of want to say like, really? Like you really didn't think, like that would be like, I don't know, calling non 911 and being shocked that the police showed up. It's like, did you, did you not think that that would be an outcome if you told your lawyer about literal alleged child abuse? Yeah. Like uh, it's negligent parenting, parenting and you're in a fucking custody battle, but that I didn't really understand, but you no, could tell I that she totally was genuinely get it because sorry. If he was like, do you know of any incident? And then maybe she was like, she told him that she knew about the kid. Like a, getting like her a confidentiality thing? Yeah, but like she like just probably just mentioned that like the kid got injured under his care. Not that like, she probably didn't use the word disfigure, permanently disfigured. Um, she probably didn't use the word negligent, but then this lawyer turned it around and made it a really ugly thing. The only thing, because again, this is, the, of course, we were mentioning this before. It is, it is really about like the context of of history and and really what divorce meant at the time. And like yeah. you were saying before, which is um, um, very true about how a woman's identity was often identified with just being like a wife and stuff like that. And um, if you thought anything different, you were part of the women's lit movement and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or women's lit movement. Sorry. And um, <laughs> I think read. that. But yeah, I know exactly. But uh, they're like blasphemy. She's a witch. Um, but I do think that the movie does kind of make it seem like a divorce on a child is the absolute worst thing in the world that could ever happen. And as a child of the '90s, oh. when every Happy Meal came with a divorce, mm-hmm. like it was when I was growing up. Uh, everyone was like, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. I don't know if that statistic exists anymore, but I know that when I was growing up, everybody was divorced. Every every friend that I had, yeah. everyone's parents were divorced. My Personally, my parents are still together. They never got divorced, but I had a ton of friends. So for me, I mean, I've never been in a situation where my parents got divorced, so maybe I can't speak on behalf of all victims of childhood divorce are they victims i don't know but like i don't think it's the worst thing in the world that can happen to them and i felt like maybe that was a bit of a the tone of the movie a little bit where it just sort of seemed like well your child is ruined i mean what's happening here is like the kid was abandoned by his mother like it wasn't even just divorce like she disappeared Mm -hmm. and he never heard from her again for like 18 months true 
Um, so it's that that takes it to another level. But like, I've had friends. A lot of my friends as well were divorced. Had parents who were divorced in the nineties. And like, one of my fr- one of my best friends was sixteen when her when her father left the family. And like, she's mm-hmm. still not over it. Like, mm-hmm. like it does really fuck up a kid. That is true. That is true. I mean, I guess I didn't really think of it like that. But I mean, um, he is so young and she does kind of come back. So it's not like she fully abandoned him. But I mean, like, obviously, that's quite traumatic. And I don't know what that's like. I can't speak to that experience. But I I, maybe the vibe and I could be totally wrong. But the vibe that I was kind of getting was just sort of like, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to a child. And I don't necessarily know that it is. But again, I also could be completely wrong about this. and I think we, I think we are almost, I think that we're almost at that time where, you know, we should say who we think that the Oscar should have gone to. But before we do, I'm just going to say one little thing that made me laugh really hard about this movie. Uh-huh. Whenever he decided that it, she wasn't coming back and then he had to eliminate everything Meryl from the house. Holy shit. Uh-huh. How many fucking headshots did this bitch have? Because it was like, <laughs> he kept like going into a sock drawer and there was like this gorgeous black and white, like over the shoulder headshot of Meryl, just like looking like pensive. <laughs> and then like going into the closet and finding like four more like little Polaroids of like Meryl, like in like, I don't know, like in the middle of New York City, like so fashionable, like being like, huh, what? Like so candidly gorgeous. And it's like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, I want, I want to just hide headshots of myself all over and inside of my boyfriend's property so that every time he opens it it's just there's my headshot and he's just gonna be like fuck kyle fuck off i don't know i relate very hard to her here there's pictures of me all over my apartment (laughs) (laughs) that's that's amazing okay so um let's go ahead and say who we think that the oscar should have gone to and you are my guest so i will give the honors of i will give you the honors of going first so please selena vile take it away okay my name is selena vile and i believe the oscar for best supporting actress 1979, 1980 should have gone to the winner, Meryl Streep for Kramer versus Kramer as Joanna Kramer. Love it. Why? Why? Okay. As I said before, this is Meryl before the ego. This is before she became Meryl Streep, the actress. She was Meryl, Meryl Streep, the movie star. Sorry. She was Meryl Streep, the actress here. And she is, this character, first of all, out of all the characters that we have here, is the one that has the most depth, the one that has the most scenes, <laughs> the one that has the most um, mm-hmm. th- driving the story. She, her name is in the title. It's Kramer versus Kramer. She is one of the Kramers. Um, she, and I think this performance is flawless. It's nuanced. It, it's, it's complicated. And it feels so real. Mm-hmm. Okay. I absolutely love that. Okay. Also, um, okay, let's pitch an idea here for an animated film about food. Same premise, and we'll call it Creamer versus Creamer. <laughs> I think you're onto something. I'll, I'll, pay money. I'll something. put money into that. <laughs> <laughs> you can just produce the whole project. Okay. So, um, okay, well, I think that the Oscar should have gone to... Meryl Streep for Kramer versus Kramer. I mean, it's a Fritz Bernays. It's no question. I really feel like um, everything that you said is so true. I think that um, 
it's so real. It's uh she took a character that was very one dimensional and brought it to life, made it three dimensional. That is so much easier said than done. That is so hard to do. Um, you know, she nails every single scene and you feel bad for her when in reality, she's kind of the villain in this movie, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very, very difficult to do. And how much she contributed on her own really speaks to her own artistry. I love 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 her so much i love all of her movies and uh i can completely understand why she won this particular movie um and i've seen this movie like two or three times now and i enjoy it every single time um dustin hoffman should never make french toast ever again that made me vomit everywhere when he was dunking (laughs) it in the mug i will skip that part uh but other than that i love this movie i love her performance it's Come on, it's Meryl Streep. So yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that ends another episode of Best Actress. Uh, guys, if you love this podcast, please tell your friends in Mongolia, tell your friends in Luxembourg, <laughs> tell your friends in Brazil. Uh, we are charting. <laughs> and um, please leave us an online review. Uh, let us know what you think and what episodes you think that we should do. And um, Selena Vile, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. I love talking to you. Where can people find you on social media? They can find me at Selena Vile. That's my handle across the board. Um, there's no I in team. There's no I in Selena Vile. Okay, you can figure it. Just look at the description. I'm sure my name is there. <laughs> I love it. And do you have um, anything upcoming that you would like to promote or to plug? <gasps> Probably, but I can't think of anything right now. But you can listen to my <laughs> podcast squirrel talk where we review every single episode of drag race as it airs love it okay well selena thank you so much and nikki thank you so much for being (laughs) a guest on best actress and we will see you next time goodbye bye